So we're back for another live event, our 10th live event in the in the series already. And we've covered a lot in our first 10 programs already. There's still plenty more for us to cover as well. So don't worry, we'll get to plenty more topics in the, the coming weeks as well. There's been a, a great reaction to last week's live event, a, a popular subject that we spoke about last week. And before we go any further, my thanks to, to Daniel Dunn, who covered the show really well last week. He covered it with with a plum. I don't think we hear enough people saying that anymore. Somebody covered it with a plum. Well, I've done it now. I've used that word now, Daniel. So there we go. I can't take it back, but you handled that really well. So thanks very much to Daniel for, for looking after that last week. Actually, we'll get a, a chance in a few minutes just to revisit that subject of screen readers. Um, there's just one or two sort of follow up points we'd like to cover. One or two comments were made or, or uh, questions came in afterwards that we'd like to uh, come to as well. So we'll, we'll get a chance to do that in just a moment. But first of all, let's just quickly run through what we have in store for the show today. So a little bit later on, we're going to look at some of the access accessibility features that come built in to a Windows computer. So ones that you don't have to buy separately kind of out of the box, so to speak, with fairly minimal setup for some of them actually. So we're going to look briefly at changing the appearance of the mouse pointer just to, to make it a bit more visible. We're going to look at Windows magnifier and how that works quite simply just to magnify the environment, what appears on the screen so that you can uh, see that a little bit more clearly. But also if you do need a screen reader, we're going to look at the inbuilt feature for that as well. We're going to look at narrator and how that can be used. We're going to have a, a short video on each one of those subjects. And then after that, we're going to be looking at a new browser that will be of interest. You've heard of Google Chrome and probably Microsoft Edge as well, but what is Microsoft Edge Chromium all about? Is it a good alternative to other browsers? Well, Daniel Dunn is back to take us through a helpful walkthrough of how to get it and some of the key uh, features of Microsoft Edge Chromium. Of course, as usual, if you have any questions, you'll have a chance to put them to our panel. And this week we have a number of our regular panelists with us. We have Sean Doran and JP Corcoran and Daniel Dunn back with us as well. We have Brian Manning back with us again this week as well, which we're delighted about. And we're very happy to welcome Maureen Lanigan to the show for the first time this week as well. So Maureen has prepared some of the content for today's show, so we're happy to have Maureen along as well. Of course, everybody else, you're all very welcome to, to our show today. Remember, if you have any questions about any of the topics that we cover today, you can use the question panel to the right or you can email labs at ncbi.ie and we'll be happy to answer those throughout the course of the show or at least try to answer them. If we have a, an issue with that, we'll get back to them maybe at, at another point in time. And if you'd like to support our live events, or other NCBI services as well, you can go to donate.ncbi.ie, donate.ncbi.ie, a website that's set up for that. Or you can even sponsor one of our live events. Again, let us know if you'd like to do that at labs at ncbi.ie. So let's just start off today with just revisiting that subject from last week. We were talking a little bit last week about JAWS and NVDA um, and the general feeling was that they're both excellent pieces of software and 
what you choose is very much dependent on your needs and preferences, but maybe we could just invite our panel just to unmute here. I think particularly we have uh, Brian with us for, for some of these as we just revisit some of the, the points here. We just had a couple of points to follow up on. One question came in just regarding how many computers you could uh, install JAWS on. Are there any kind of restrictions or limitations on how many computers you can install JAWS on? Well, if I may ask for that, traditionally JAWS allowed for um, the one license to be put on three machines. So I took into consideration the fact that a person might need a license for at home, a license for at work, or a license for at home, or a license for at school, for example. Mm. So generally, when you bought a, bought a JAWS license, you were given three activations. And again, I mean, if, for example, you lost an activation, then you could always go to the fsactivate.com website and type in your, your serial number. And George would let you know like how many activations you had left, or if you needed to um, reactivate one of your one of your licenses, then you could do it in there as well. So um, FS Activate was a great repository of information for anyone looking for information regarding their their license or how many activations they had left. Okay, very good. So are you, are you able to deactivate it off one machine and put it onto another if you've only got a limited amount of licenses? You can, yeah. I mean, like traditionally, when JAWS, when, when you bought uh, a JAWS license or a version of JAWS, you were given the floppy disk with the, uh, this is going back a long time ago, no right. tunes. <laughs> <laughs> you were given a floppy disk and you could copy the, um, you, you could shift your, 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 activation from the hard drive back to the floppy disk whereas no i mean if you buy if you, when you buy jaws you just go into um into the jaws uh, folder and you know in there you have fs you've i think it's called fs active and open to i'm open to to, to uh, correction on that now but within That's the correct. jaws folder you there is an option jaws ilm i think it's called actually and you can actually take an activation off from there right brian, uh, brian, brian what's a floppy disk license manager brian brian what's a floppy disk <laughs> Way before your time. It was around <laughs> the same time as the Abacus. I'm not sure whether it was Plato or Aristotle. <laughs> was it a 5.25 or 3.25? It's a 5.25. <laughs> Good to know. It's <laughs> great that Daniel is consistent. At least today he's covering everything with a plum. <laughs> With a plum, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I regretted using the word immediately. I was going to say it was excellent, but, you know, I wanted to do it with a bit of a flourish. You did a great job last week. Um, so, Brian, let's just get back on track here for a second. So just with relation to JAWS there, um, you, you were mentioning you can use it on different computers. What's the stuff somebody just saying, OK, well, I've got a computer and my friend has a computer down the road as well, and to stop him, you know, having to pay out a huge amount of money as well. I'll just install my one on his. Well, I suppose, first of all, there's a huge element of trust involved. I mean, in the, plus, I mean, like you're going to have, you're going to require activation codes as well. And an activation code is 24, 25 digits long. So, I mean, like, it could be quite, it's an involved process in getting that activation code as well. So, um, in theory, of course, it could happen, but I mean, you know, the, um, the reality is that it's it's not as straightforward as just saying, you know, here's here's my um, here's my CD where you go. I mean, it's all you need. You need to have access to the internet. You have to have all of the codes and everything like that. And as I say, I mean, you know, um, like like Jaws has been hugely innovative in the everyday lives of blind and vision impaired people. And while I know that the cost can be prohibitive, I mean, if you factor in 
what blind people have achieved through the use of applications like JAWS, then I suppose there is a, an element of trust involved. And you would hope that um, that the fact that we are loyal to JAWS, reward, like, by doing that, we're rewarding the level of research and investment that the, 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 the JAWS manufacturers have put into the product. Yeah, okay. So when, when we're talking about that trust element there, the, the license is only for computers we own. Like our, if I buy a license, it might allow me to install it on multiple devices, but they all have to be owned by me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe in your home or just say a PC, a tower in the home, a laptop that you may use out in the boat, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. Plus, and, I mean, like, you have different types of licenses, like up to, up to JAWS 2018, you had a uh, JAWS Professional program and you had a JAWS Home Edition. And I mean, yeah. essentially, the JAWS Professional was for people in, in the workplace. So you could run JAWS on networks, for example, whereas with the JAWS Home Edition up to JAWS 2018, then you couldn't do that. I mean, so JAWS Home was literally meant for what I said, JAWS in the home as such, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. And just in relation to that cost that is attached to to JAWS, obviously it's a powerful piece of software. And as you as you mentioned there, there's kind of a reason why they, there is a cost attached to it. But if you wanted to just kind of try it out, you only want to just see if it's for you. Is there any other way that you can, is there like a trial version, for example? Is there something that people could access without paying that money out? Yeah, there is. Way? And JAWS are quite <laughs> generous as well in the, um, demonstration product that they have. It's it's JAWS 14 minute mode is what it's called. And literally mm. when you load JAWS, after you load JAWS, I mean, you're prompted to then start begin the activation process. But you're also given the option of pressing the escape button. And if you press the escape button, then JAWS will run away for 40 minutes and allow you give you a good comprehensive test of, of what JAWS can actually do. And the nice mm. thing about it is that, I mean, after that 40 minutes, you can shut down your computer, restart it and start all over again. And I mean, I have come across a lot of cases down throughout the years where, for example, you know, maybe kind of moderate users of computers might turn on the computer for 40 minutes, have read the newspaper, use JAWS for that, or might just come on and check their emails, for example, and just use that 40 minute mode. Or I've used it myself on a, a lot of occasions where you would just load a 40 minute version of JAWS onto troubleshoot the computer. So again, and I mean, like there, there's, there is no limit as such. I mean, you can run that 40 minute mode for, for, um, for, for as many times as you want, really. And again, because of the um, recent amalgamations where, for example, Zoom Text and Zoom Text Fusion uh, have, have come on board the Freedom Scientific uh, product list. Now, what has happened is, I mean, Zoom Text, where before, if you loaded Zoom Text or Fusion, you could run it for 30 days, whereas now they've made the transition to the JAWS, um, to the JAWS family or suite. No, the 40 minute mode is available in ZoomText and ZoomText Fusion as well. And again, that can be very, very valuable in, I suppose, just empowering a person to know as to whether that product, be it ZoomText, JAWS, ZoomText Fusion, is the product for them. So again, I mean, it's useful at a number of levels. First of all, it gives you a good insight into the actual product or into the program. But more importantly, it lets you really, really know whether that program is for you, or whether that's the program that you need to make the investment is because, as we said, I mean, there is there is a cost factor in, in JAWS or in ZoomText and ZoomText Fusion as well. Very good. And is, is it just as simple as, like if your 40 minute mode runs out and it just shuts down on you, do, are you able to just start it up again immediately? Is that how it, how it works? You can just kind of yeah, run it you end just turn off your computer. You could just go to start menu, to power, restart, and it'll start up again for you. Again, once one JAWS okay. runs, you're presented with the 
activation uh, process. So you can just press the escape and doors will run away again for the 40 minutes. Excellent, very good. So as soon as it picks up to the computer's restarted, you, you have another 40 minutes then on yeah, your... 40 minutes. And you're given a prompt as well. It's not just that it will cut out you know, after the yeah. 40 minutes, you're given a six minute prompt, a four minute prompt, a two minute prompt. So you can kind of tidy up what you want to tidy up and maybe, you know, go to the restart process. Or you can just tidy up what you need to tidy up and just shut down the computer. Brilliant. Yeah, that's very useful. Um, I suppose yeah. as well, just, just on that point about the 40 minutes, it could be a good way, I suppose, for someone to determine whether the likes of JAWS or Zoom Text or Fusion is going to be compatible with the device they're using as well. Would that be right? So, you know, looking at a product like Fusion, for example, could be very system heavy. So before they can try before they buy, so to speak, to make sure that it's going to work on their laptop and not slow it down or anything like that. Yeah, that's very important as well. Yeah. Mm, definitely, yeah. Very good. So you can kind of just check that you've got the right hardware to run the software. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, we mentioned there the cost, and we did mention last week the cost. The cost we kind of uh, provide, uh, particularly on a live event like this, which is just a, a moment in time, if you like, was the the main cost price um, of the software. If anybody wants to get the latest kind of uh, prices at any point, if anybody has queries about the cost of the software at any point, you can just contact your local IT worker, your local NCBI IT worker, and they'll be able to help you out with that information as well. So that's uh, really good information and good just to kind of uh, respond to those couple of queries as well in relation to last week's uh, show. So thanks very much for those comments, Brian, and the rest of the panel as well. Appreciate that. And uh, we're going to move on with the rest of our show now. So let's look at what our content is for today. So we're going to look at, as we said, some of the accessibility features that you can access just with Microsoft Windows. And to help us with that, NCBI Labs technology trainer Maureen Lanigan has prepared three short videos that will discuss just some of the features available. Now, first up, we're going to look at the mouse pointer. Now, the def default mouse pointer is quite small to see on the screen, and maybe your level of vision is such that you need to make it a little bit more visible. Well, how can you do that? Let's join Maureen to find out. Hello and welcome. This is Maureen Lanigan here. And I'm going to show you how you can change the size and color of the mouse pointer on your computer monitor or laptop screen in Windows 10 to make it easier to see. This feature is likely to be of interest, use and benefit to anyone who has low vision or is partially sighted. Before I do that though, I'd also like to mention that Windows 10 has a wide range of accessibility options and these options are all to be found in the ease of access category under settings. So to continue, to locate the settings option in Windows 10, where I can make changes to the size and color of my mouse pointer, I first press the Windows key and then type the words mouse size and press enter. A window opens entitled Cursor and Pointer. It is here that I can experiment with the settings, 
before deciding which of the options work best for me. The first slider bar allows me to change the mouse pointer size. When I drag the bar to the right, the mouse pointer gets bigger. And when I drag the slider bar to the left, the mouse pointer gets smaller. I'm going to set the mouse pointer to maximum size. Underneath that, I have the option to change the pointer color, four square boxes. And when I click on each box, the size has changed, but also the color will now change. The first box gives me a white pointer with a black outline. The second box gives me the opposite, a black pointer with a white outline. The third box gives me a black pointer, but is somewhat transparent, so that the text underneath the mouse pointer comes through. And the last box gives me seven colour choices. These are lime, yellow, gold, pink, turquoise, green and purple. I'm going to choose the gold option. I can also make a change to the thickness of the cursor to help make it easier for me to see it when I'm typing, say in Microsoft Word or doing an email or searching the internet. Again, this is a slider bar and when I drag it to the right, it will increase the thickness of the cursor. This time I'm going to set it midway as my preference is for a mid-range cursor, neither very thin nor too thick. Now that I have modified my mouse pointer to my own preferences, I press Alt and F4 to exit this window and return to the desktop. And there is my gold mouse in my preferred size. I hope that this has been of interest to you and thank you for listening. So thanks very much to Maureen Lanigan there for taking us through that. Um, so Maureen join it, joins us now and thanks for uh, covering that Maureen and uh, thanks for being available to come on to the event. You're very welcome. So Maureen, we just had one or two quick uh, questions if you'd like to unmute yourself there. Very good. So we just have one or two quick questions for you in relation to the to the mouse change. Maureen, who would use this particularly? Who would want to make this mouse change or what circumstances might mean that somebody would want to kind of just alter the appearance of their mouse? That's a very interesting question, Judah, and, and thank you now for um, being here now today. It's lovely to be with the, the rest of the panel. Uh, there's many circumstances, many in instances where somebody might uh, wish to change the mouse pointer. The mouse pointer, for example, goes in size from number one up to number 15. So if somebody has a computer or a laptop and they take it out, as we say, take it out of the box and turn it on and they find that the mouse pointer size is set for number one or number two, 
that's going to be really very, very small and certainly not comfortable mm. to work with or to do any uh, productive work with at all. So yeah. really the flexibility is there for changing it up to the maximum size of 15. So really it's the whole idea is to be comfortable with working at the computer, working at the laptop and just having the system set as you really want it to be, as you uh, would personally prefer it to be. So personal preference plays a big part in all this. I might say I like it to be set for 15. You might say you'd like it set for eight. The beauty about the ease of access feature is that it can be done so by just using the slider as we saw there in the video. Oh, very good, very easy. So would that be actually something that somebody can just set up on their own straight straight away if they've got their computer set up they can just change that quite easily would they need any help setting that up well i suppose it comes down to to each person really uh, first of all how comfortable that they are in going into the settings of a computer uh, some people will be quite happy and confident and other people might be a little bit hesitant and, and there could be a, a number of people uh, in between both that would like somebody to be with them side by side as they go about it in case something happens and they can't get it back to how they like it to be in general, it is one of the easier options for setting up mm. on the system because as we saw there, when you just type the word mouse size and press enter, the mm. options come up and the slider bar is there. The one thing I will say though is that the, the text on the screen uh, to me is a little bit on the small side and that might be a little, that might pose a little bit of a difficulty. The actual setting of the mouse size, pointer size itself is not terribly difficult. It's more maybe the, the print of the screen might uh, cause more of a problem than, than that. But the slider bar is very easy to use. Very good. OK, so that's that's one of the features that we're looking at. And that's actually a really useful little thing. It's sort of small and simple, but actually really useful as well. But if, if you need more than just a mouse pointer ma uh, magnified, well, there's a feature for that in Windows as well, Windows Magnifier. And this is the subject of our second video that Maureen's prepared for us. Hello and welcome. My name is Maureen Lanigan, and I'd like to talk today a little bit about a feature in Windows 10 that is called the Windows Magnifier. And it does just that. It will magnify the content on your Windows screen whether it is on a laptop or a computer monitor. This feature may be of interest and benefit to someone who has low vision or is partially sighted or who just finds that what is on the computer screen is a bit too small for comfort and I think that you'll find it very easy to use. To enable the Windows magnifier, I'm going to do so using the keyboard and before I start, there are a few keys that I will be using. These are the Windows key, which you'll find located two keys to the left of the spacebar, the plus key, which is found immediately to the left of the backspace on the top row of the keyboard, the minus key, which is to the left of the plus key, and the escape key, which is at the top left-hand corner of the keyboard. One last key to mention, and that is the letter M, M for minimize. You'll find this letter on the bottom row of the keyboard, towards the end of the spacebar and just up from it. So, to start the Windows magnifier, 
I'll hold down the Windows key and press the plus key once. A small rectangular window has now appeared on screen and it shows me that I've turned on the magnifier. This is the magnifier toolbar. It shows me the level of magnification that is currently set. At the moment, it is at 300%, which is three times magnification. This means that everything on my screen is now three times the height and three times the width of what it was before I turned on the Windows magnifier. As this toolbar is partially blocking what is on the screen, I'm going to hold down the Windows key and press the letter M once to minimize it down to the taskbar at the bottom of the screen. And there it is, gone. The size of everything on the screen has now been increased, all of the icons and the mouse pointer, as can be seen as I move the mouse around. If I want to increase the level of magnification and to make everything on the screen a bit bigger, I press the Windows key and plus again. And that takes me up from three times magnification to four and again to five and so on. If I continue to press Windows and plus, it will keep magnifying until I get up to 16 times magnification, which is the maximum magnification level in Windows Magnifier. I now want to decrease the level of magnification and to reduce the size of everything on the screen. So I'm going to press the Windows key and minus. This is bringing the magnification level down from 16 times to whatever size I prefer. I leave it set at three or four times magnification. And that's how easy it is to turn on and adjust the Windows magnification. Just press the Windows key and plus to turn it on. Press Windows key and plus to increase the level of magnification and Windows key and minus to reduce magnification. With the Windows magnifier turned on and the magnification level set, it will work with whatever program I want to use, be it the internet or email or Microsoft Word or whatever, until I decide to turn the Windows magnifier off. When I've finished using the Windows magnifier and I want to close or escape from it, I'm going to press the Windows key and the escape key. And that exits the program and returns my screen to how it was before I turned on the Windows magnifier. That has been just a brief overview of some of the features in Windows magnifier. I hope you found the Windows magnifier to be of interest and perhaps to be of some benefit. Thank you for listening. Very good. So that was Windows Magnifier. Just a reminder, if anybody has any questions about uh, any of these features as we've gone through them, please do use the question panel to the right or just email us at labs at ncbi.ie. Maureen, that's a, a 
brilliantly easy piece of software there. It's very straightforward to use. It seems to be quite effective. Do, do most people who use that end up needing to change over to more advanced software or can they manage with Windows Magnifier? Well, I think when it comes to using any of the ease of access features in Windows 10, it really does come down to personal preference. As you say there, Jude, a lot of people do find that uh, Windows Magnifier in its current version in Windows 10 is quite sufficient to meet needs. And I have to say it really is a very nice little program to work with because it's so smooth to turn on, to adjust mm -hmm. and to come out of it. I, sometimes as, as things progress, people might say, might decide that yes, they do perhaps need maybe a magnifier that might include other features, like say, for example, a, a colour changer or colour filter. Mm. A colour changer, colour filters would be, say, uh, turning on magnifier and maybe changing it to uh, black and yellow so that I'd have a high contrast as well as magnifier or some other uh, similar combination. Mm. And, but in general, most people do would tend to maybe start off with Windows Magnifier, get used to it, see what it can do, and then start thinking about, well, it's if it's meeting my needs, that's great. And if mm. it's not, we'll then take a look at other magnifiers, but doing so with the knowledge of what they already have from what Windows Magnifier can do. Very good. And would there be any other factors you, you mentioned there, like the change of contrast and things like that? Um, or the, the change of colours as well. W would there be any other factors that might kind of indicate to somebody, well, now is the time to maybe start thinking about another piece of software? This isn't quite doing what I want it to do. Well, I suppose that there's always different elements and it always does come down to the, the personal circumstances and, and choices. I mm. Determine, which determine the use of any particular program. Like say there are features in maybe other magnification programs where we could do a split screen mm. uh, so that maybe if there are two people say working together, the screen could be divided in half so that left side is magnified and right side is not so that mm -hmm. both people can work with the screen according to their own preference. Uh, little features like that uh, could well be of benefit to somebody completely dependent on what they're using the computer for and the duration they're using it for and that. Yeah, very good. So it's powerful for what it does, um, but obviously the, the kind of feature set in it isn't particularly advanced, but it's quite simple to use if that's what somebody needs. Thanks, that's certainly, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's, true. Yeah. that's really good. Thanks for taking us through that, Maureen. And again, just a reminder, do send in your questions if you have any. Any. So we're going to look at the third one of the three videos that we're, we're thinking about in relation to Windows accessibility this time. And if, if you're somebody who maybe needs a screen reader and you're thinking about those, maybe changing the mouse pointer and the Windows magnifier isn't going to suit your needs. Well, can Narrator do the job for you? Well, let's have a look at Narrator from, from uh, this video with Maureen Lanigan again. Hello and welcome. A narrator programme may be of interest and benefit to anyone who has very low or no vision. As narrator is a screen reading programme, that is, it will read out what is on the computer or the laptop screen. To start narrator, I'm going to hold down the Windows key, then press Control and Enter just once. Windows, Control and Enter. Narrator dialog, OK. Button, Alt and O, heads up. Narrator keyboard changes. 
We've updated the narrator keyboard layout so it more closely matches the experience you may have had with other screen readers. If you want narrator to tell you what commands are associated with the keys you're pressing, you can turn on input learning by pressing caps lock plus one. To turn it off, press caps lock plus one twice. To learn more, press control and windows logo key and then to open your narrator settings and access the online user guide. As you will have heard, the opening screen of the narrator program opens up and the content or text that's on the screen is read aloud. To continue with the program, I just press enter. Narrator heading level one. Welcome to Narrator. This is Narrator Home, where you can get help, access your settings, and learn about new features. Narrator is a screen reader that describes aloud what's on your screen, so you can use that information to navigate your device. To start or stop Narrator, press the Windows logo key and Control and Enter. Explore the sections below to get started. Quick Start, Button, Alt, Q. Now I'm in a Welcome to Narrator screen. And again, it reads out the text. I've heard narrator refer to the quick start button. This is just one of the options available to me. And I'm now going to press the tab key to find out what other options are there on the screen. Narrator guide, button, alt, G. I hear that there is a narrator guide and it says to me alt and G which tells me that's a shortcut key to quickly get to narrator guide. Pressing tab key again. What's new? Button, alt, w. Takes me to the next option. What's new? Tab again. Settings, button, alt, s. Takes me to settings. And I'm going to tab once more. Feedback, button, alt, f. And I hear that I'm on the feedback option. Again, the tab key is used to explore what is on the screen and to find and hear the different options. To close the screen that I have, I simply press Windows and M for minimize. Desktop list, Acrobat Reader DC, 3 of 13, selected, scan off. And I hear something called Desktop and Acrobat Reader. So Narrator has told me that I'm back now to my desktop and that the program or app that I'm on at the moment is called Acrobat Reader. I can use the arrow keys to move around the screen to find out what other programs do I have. FS Reader 3.0, 4 of 13, selected. FS Reader, and it's number 4 of 13. Google Chrome, 5 of 13, selected. Google Chrome, 5 of 13. Jaws 2020, 6 of 13, selected. Team Viewer Host, 7 of 13, selected. So all I'm doing each time is pressing the arrow key either up, down, left or right, and that moves me to a particular icon. Now, if I know that there's something on the screen that I want to locate and I know the name of it, say, for example, the recycle bin, because that begins with the letter R, I'm just going to press the letter R once, Recycle bin, one of 13, selected. And that automatically takes me to it on the screen. If I want to find Google Chrome to go onto the internet, I'm just going to press G for Google. Google Chrome, five of 13, selected. And at any point, if I wanted that particular program to open up, 
I'll just press enter. But at this stage, what I want to do is I want to go into Microsoft Word and type up a short piece of text. So I didn't hear Microsoft Word at any point. So I need to use my Windows key to search for it. So I'll press Windows key just once. Start window, Cortana, search box, edit. And it calls out the last thing that I searched for, which was a program called Cortana. Now, if I type in the letter W, W, O, O, R, E, Word, and then press enter. Pane, no item, Word window, new, blank document, one of seven, selected, Alt, F, H, Y2. It takes me into my Word document. I hear that my first option is a blank document, which is what I want, and I press enter. Document one, editing. And as soon as I hear editing, I know that I'm on a blank screen and I'm ready to type. So I'm going to type a short piece of text and narrator should echo back to me what I'm doing. Cap H, E, L, L, O, Comma, hello, space, H, O, W, space, how, A, R, E, space, R, Y, O, U, space, U, T, O, D, A, Y, question mark, today. So each letter I typed, narrator told me what I was typing. And as soon as I tapped the space bar, I heard the word that I had typed. Now, the next thing I want to do is I want to save that document. So I'm going to press Control and the letter S for save. Yes, save this file window, file name, edit box, hello. And it's automatically picking up the first word that I've typed. So I'm going to call it hi. So I'll type in those letters, hey, Cathage, hi, and press enter. Word window, document one, editing, hi, editing. And my document has now been saved under the name hi. I'm finished typing in Microsoft Word. I'm going to press Alt and F4 to exit from my document and my program. Desktop list, Google Chrome, five of 13. And narrator tells me that I'm back at my desktop. So I know that I'm out of my document, I'm out of Microsoft Word. And I am back to Google Chrome, my desktop. 5 of 13, selected. It has also confirmed the app that I'm particularly on at this moment, which is the Google Chrome. So at this point, that's all that I'm going to do with Narrator. It is the same keystroke to exit the program as it was to start the program. So I'm going to press Windows, Control and Enter. Exiting Narrator. And I hear that I'm exiting Narrator and my screen reader has now been turned off. Narrator works with a number of programs, email, the internet, word processing, and it's a very easy and comfortable program to work with. Thank you for listening. So thanks again for that video. And Maureen, appreciate the preparation that's gone into that. Really clear to see uh, what narrator can offer as well. But Maureen, can I ask you, do many people know about narrator? Do you hear of many people actually using narrator? 
Well, in general, Jude, I hear very little about narrator itself at all. We oftentimes hear more about uh, magnifier and things like that or changing the mouse pointer, but we tend not to hear so much about narrator. It, it tends to be one of these little hidden nuggets that's part of the, the Windows 10 uh, setup. Mm. So going on my experience, I'd say that People may be aware of it, but not to any great extent. I, th I tend to think that uh, we hear more about maybe the programs that was spoken about on last week's live event, like say programs like JAWS or NVDA. Narrator kind of seems to uh, sneak in somewhere uh, towards the, the tail end of those, but it's, yeah. it's a nice little program to work with. Yeah, very good. That's really useful just to be able to uh, let people know about that then in that case, because uh, that's a, it is quite a useful one, similar to Windows Magnifier really, isn't it? It's, it might be sort of straightforward, but if it's simple to use, that can that can be enough for people sometimes. Absolutely. Now, the question that I'm sometimes asked is that why would I go for maybe another screen reader program when there's one already built in? Mm. And Generally, it depends, I suppose, uh, to a certain extent as well on the inbuilt voices that are in the programs, like the voice we heard there in the narrator. That wouldn't, to my ear, be described as a natural sounding voice, but maybe some of the other uh, more commercial programs may have a choice of voices or they may have more natural sounding voices that are easier to the ear. But certainly uh, getting started with a screen reader program and certainly one that comes as part and parcel of any computer or lap uh, laptop or computer these days, it's certainly a nice point to start off with. Yeah, very good. So that kind of answers a little bit one of the questions that's actually come in. Just um, one one question is, can narrator be used as an alternative to JAWS? Can somebody kind of use it just completely as a complete alternative to JAWS? Well, it is a screen reader program and uh, with any program, I would always say try it, test mm. it out, see what you want to use it with and for and see what you personally think does it work for you as the individual because certainly there are a set of keystrokes to be learned with it they don't equate to any of the jaws keystrokes so they are different in that regard mm. but certainly it will be certain uh, something to try out see what you think and if it works well as they say happy days Okay, yeah, very good advice and always actually great advice when something is free. It's it costs you nothing to check it and just to see if you can get by on something that actually there, there isn't a, a cost attached to. So that's really good. Maybe at this point I can just invite the, the rest of the panel in uh, on on this, just to have a, a bit of a discussion about some of these accessibility features. Is is this all there is? The three things that we've looked at here, is is that the limit of the accessibility features on Windows 10? Okay. If I could maybe jump in there, Jude, yeah. and just answer. Um, the, those features that we've just taken a look at now, the Windows uh, mouse pointer, the magnifier, the narrator, as you mentioned earlier, they're all part of Windows 10 accessibility and Windows 10 accessibility is generally held under the category of ease of access. Yeah. And ease of access falls into three distinct categories. You have vision, you have hearing, and you have interaction. And under vision, you've got about five different choices or extra little programs to work with. We've only mentioned and referred to three of them briefly now today. Uh, if someone has hearing difficulty, there are two options 
that may be um, of help and assistance. And in interaction, there is four additional options that can be used, employed, depending on the person's requirements and choice. Okay, so yeah. So there's a, there's a wide range under ease of access in general. Yeah, very good. OK, so there's a number of different things there. That's that's useful. So with quite a few different accessibility features, if we're if we're thinking for a moment for somebody with a vision impairment, would it be enough these accessibility features to be able to manage pretty much doing anything on your computer? There's um there's a high contrast setting um which has the objective of making text and apps easier to see by using more distinct colors, uh, Jude. Mm. And I've employed this for uh, this function for you know a few service users around, and they have definitely reported back that it's a fantastic um, feature. And the keyboard shortcut to is left alt left shift and the print screen key, and it pops up a little dialog box which you can answer OK to, and after about three four seconds max it rebuilds the Windows environment and basically turns your white backgrounds black, your okay. black text white and uh, numerous other colors as well get inverted. So it is a very, very good feature um, to, to to try out as well. And perhaps maybe it's something we could cover again in a future show. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Another observation dude, is that Windows accessibility has come on hugely since Windows 10 came out. And we're like in my experience down here in Cork and Kerry, we're 10 years ago, we'll say you would have seen in all of the colleges and in all of the schools, you'd have seen programs like ZoomText, for example, being used, wi used widely. Whereas yeah. now, for example, in UCC, I don't think there is a copy of ZoomText even on the campus at this stage. It's all dependent on the Windows accessibility, the Windows magnifier, the high contrast, as Daniel just alluded to. You know, um, so again, it, it has come on leaps and bones in the past kind of four or five years Windows accessibility and that's been reflected on the ground in its usage, I think. Interesting. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah very good. There's, uh, there's probably another no, feature. If I could just make a comment as well, and Norator, what I found Norator to be really useful in the past was if, for example, as a um, as an IT worker as or as an IT worker, if I wanted to re work remotely with another PC, I mean, I really did was dependent on maybe somehow getting JAWS or getting NVDA on the uh, the client computer, we'll say. Whereas recently, since Narrator has come on and since Narrator has been improved, it is very straightforward. For example, to go to TeamViewer and when you have control of the, the client computer, to so just press that Windows shortcut, you know, the control Windows and enter, launch Narrator on the other computer. And, you know, you can get by, you can, you know, you, you can achieve the fixes that you need to achieve. You using a rate whereas you know up to you know the past number of years maybe that wouldn't have been a possibility yeah excellent and jp you had a yeah no no thanks you I, I think it's a really good point there brian is making about it's, it's more or less making any any computer accessible in terms of someone who is a screen reader is able to just literally just press those, those three keys that more mentioned windows control and enter and narrator is turned on and even if they want to at that point they can install uh, NVDA, um, if they want to do that. But yeah, my other point, yeah, was just just to make um, reference to some of the other features that could be useful to to other people um, in uh, with the ease of access center, including say the light like settings, which I know a lot of people use. So as we noticed, the screens emit a blue light, which are supposedly could, could keep you up at night. So the night light uh, settings could be used because it displays warmer colors, which 
in theory are supposed to help you sleep. So I know several people have, have are using the uh, this feature um, to to I suppose give it give their skin a more for a warmer um, kind of look uh, look to it. But I suppose as, as a general point, I think you know I think it's great you know that we're covering these features like narrator, magnifier, and and this the cursor mouse pointer and cursor enhancements because I suppose it's taking a step step back. It, it's it's showing that I suppose people can try out these features before going and purchasing any assistive software. So like you know, general advice would be to try it, try out narrator, try out um you know using the the built-in magnifier. If they work for you, great. But if not, you know, there's always the alternatives that that we're that we know of too. Yeah, yeah. can I just add a point there as well? Yeah. Um, when we're talking about narrator, and one thing that I have to applaud Microsoft for doing is uh, on the newer machines with Windows 10 now, particularly in the last two editions that they have come out with. When you actually uh, take the laptop out of the box or the PC out of the box for the first time, turn it on, narrator is on. Uh, it's talking to it's talking to you, you know, in the setup, you know, asking you what way do you want to set your windows up. So that is a brilliant feature, and Microsoft must be commended for uh, adding that to their latest uh, release of Windows. That is really that's, useful. Yeah. That's yeah. very. That, I was just about to bring up that point as well, Daniel. That for the first time ever in the past year or two, I've been able to take a laptop out of a box, turn it on, and have the option of of going through the setup process using Narrator. So for the first time ever, without sighted assistance, you are set as a blind person, you can set up a system yourself, and that has to be lauded. Mm, yeah, definitely. It, it gives the independence back to the to, to the it's end. Total it's, to, it's totally from the get-go that you have that independence to take it out of the box and go yourself. Yeah. And just to follow on from what Brian was saying there about the way that Microsoft has developed the accessibility features over the years, even the way of getting to the ease of access options is now so smooth. It's just a question of press the Windows key, you're automatically in the search box, type in the three words ease of access and press enter, and all your choices are presented with you to you there on the screen. It's yeah. no longer an obscure way of how do I find what I'm looking for. Type in what you're looking for, it'll, it'll come up on the screen. Yeah. That really makes a difference to people, I think. When it is, If you're able to get into it very easily, then the rest of it is kind of, uh, you can work out your preferences. The, the broader question, I suppose, and it is a broader question than, than just Windows accessibility features, but it kind of applies to this as well, is can you do with these accessibility features? Can you do what somebody who is fully sighted can do on a computer? Can you do everything? Uh, that is a good question. <laughs> no, they have their limitations. I mean, you know, let's be honest. I mean, narrator. If you're starting off, and if you just want to read email, and if you do want to perhaps just read a well-laid-out newspaper on a website, then possibly you would you would be able to work with narrator, but I mean, for example, it would be hard to see um, someone working in an office, kind of working with databases, spreadsheets and stuff mm -hmm. like that, then they wouldn't really be able to survive with Narrator alone. Then they would need the more functional screen readers like JAWS or, or like NVDA. But for a person that's, you know, with basic requirements that just wants to get the basics from the, the computer, like create a document, read a newspaper, you know, send an email, then they would, they could suffice with, with, with Narrator. But probably not with any more in-depth use but as i've already suggested i mean the other kind of the magnifier uh, options and the high contrast options and they are very very you know that you could have a far richer computer experience as a person with low vision using those particular uh, settings 
So would you agree like across the board, is it fair to say that when you're talking about any of these kind of accessibility um, software, or any of it, um, that they would each, even if the, the limitations are much less extreme, if you like, even if they're much less limited, there will always be some limitations on what some of these pieces of software can do. A little bit like if you buy a new laptop, there'll always be a limitation on what you can what you can do. Yeah, like uh, the, win the Windows magnifier, like the more you zoom in, it can crush detail. Mm. And like the likes of Zoom Text would have uh, like graphical algorithms that are going to smooth out text the more you zoom in. Mm. And that's the kind of difference of like when you're paying for software and you're getting ones built in that they don't always have that level of detail. Yeah. I, I think as you mentioned Yeah, I think as you mentioned earlier, Jude, or some of the other panel, all of the features in the Windows 10 accessibility suite, they're certainly a starting point and mm. they're a lovely way to explore to see does this meet my needs? And if it does, well, then I'm sorted. And if not, well, then it gives maybe each person a, a more informed approach to, well, what do I want to want in another program yes, rather yeah. than going out and spending the money on a commercial program and then finding, well, look, maybe I had it all the time on, on the computer. Yeah, yeah, very good. And Daniel, you had a thought there. I think, uh, you know, um, they have mentioned it there, the guys, uh, you know, it is coming on uh, with each release of Windows. They seem to have worked on and improved each of these. But I suppose the point to probably take from it all is like uh, Microsoft, their their primary focus is, is a, you know, an operating system. Mm -hmm. And the accessibility features, while they are important and they are an integral part to it, it's not their total area of focus. So mm -hmm. they are going to probably miss out on the little bits and bobs that the, that the more established companies who are totally focused on this area are really going to, you know, bring the cream to the top, so to speak, in, in that application. Yeah, very good. I think that's kind of important for people to, to know as well, because it's it's important to have realistic expectations, but it is also amazing what is out there. It's great to see such a range of different things that can cater to different people's preferences and what what people need as well. So that's that's really useful. Maybe just can I bring in a subject that was actually discussed um, last week. I think there was a, a video on last week's live event about the rate boost feature. Uh, is anyone aware of many NVDA users, for example, who've tried out that rate boost feature um, for Windows One Core Voices? No, not, not as yet. Like, like I said last week, people have, have mentioned that they found like the clarity of the Windows One Core Voices, but they couldn't be, the speed couldn't be increased because whatever way that worked. So mm -hmm. NVDA released the, the boost feature and to allow people to greatly increase those one core voice speeds but i haven't had feedback of anyone who's actually tried it yet okay it could be potentially very valuable though because in my experience and i'm sure that maureen and the other uh, it trainers here will relate to this that in my experience the younger the service user the faster they want the the, the, the screen reader reading and i mean like you go to a school with a 12 year old child and like i'd have to slow jaws down or i'd have to slow nvd i don't understand it it's reading so quickly and then perhaps maybe you could be with an older person and they want to slow the, the the speech way down so that they can understand it i mean yeah. i've been in situations where people are reading kindle books and in two hours they're going at such a rate so i think that 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 rate booster is usually has great potential actually yeah very good that's that's handy to know so 
people mightn't be using it too much yet, but they, they'll, they'll find it uh, it's good once they start using it, or at least some people prefer it that way. Very good. So thanks very much for your comments there. Uh, appreciate the input there for, for each of those, and it gives us a bit of a balanced overview of, of what is available, um, both out of the box and as we compare it to previous weeks, the different software that we've looked at in, in previous weeks as well. So just uh, a reminder that if you want any support in any of the technologies that we cover in any of our live events, um, please do contact the labs team here at labs at ncbi.ie or by phone on 1850 92 30 60. That's 1850 92 30 60. And we're always happy to help uh, in relation to uh, providing support for any of the technologies that we cover here. So appreciate that. That was a, an interesting uh, discussion on those accessibility features as well. Now we're going to change direction a little bit. We're going to talk about browsers now, um, specifically the Microsoft Edge Chromium browser. Now you might have heard of it already or you might not, but in our next piece, Daniel Dunn is going to take a look at some of its key features and how you can get a hold of it as well. Hello and thank you for joining me here today with the NCBI Labs where we are going to take a look at the brand new browser from Microsoft. Now this browser is called Microsoft Edge Chromium and it is based on the popular browser Google Chrome. So for users who love uh, the feel of Google Chrome but want to stick with Microsoft's recommended browser, this is the solution for you. Also, for somebody who has a visual impairment, the browser has a beautiful built-in vocalizer for reading web pages called the Immersive Reader, and we'll take a look at that feature later on. But first up, we are going to take a look at installing the browser. So we're going to open our traditional Microsoft Edge browser, and we are brought to the default home page. And at the top, we're going to type in Microsoft Edge Chromium. So we just simply tap that into our search bar. And if we tab down a few little bits, we get to the new Microsoft Edges here. Uh, it is powered by the same open source technology as Google Chrome, providing the best in class web and extension compatibility. So we want to tap to download now and commence our download page and in the center we have uh, download for Windows 10 so a couple of tabs if you're using a screen reader just to get to that and we'll tap on that and it commences to download so we'll just speak about and then we have a pop-up box we go accept and download on that and it begins and we can choose to run from that and after a few seconds the installer will commence automatically. We'll just give it permissions. Answer yes to that. And the installer then will commence. So just while that's installing, we'll go through some of the features of, of the new browser. So uh, it will be compatible with Chrome browser extensions. 
However, in, when you go to install those, you may get a little warning uh, saying from Microsoft that even though these extensions are optimized for Google Chrome, but they should, they should still work fine. Uh, websites that were designed for Chrome and had issues with the old version of Edge or Internet Explorer will now work perfectly. And also another positive is you're going to get updates for your browser approximately every six weeks, just as you would for Google Chrome. So now uh, the browser has installed, so I'm going to click close and continue. And it will close down the old version of Microsoft Edge and just put the new icon on the desktop for us. And there is a subtle difference in the icon instead of the traditional white E in a blue square. We now have a green and blue swirl similar to a wave. So I guess that's uh, Microsoft's way of saying this is the way you're going to surf the web. So that has done installing. And we just give it a couple of seconds to open up and we get our welcome screen. You can see the icon has changed. Uh, it says welcome back, welcome to the new Microsoft Edge. It's just a little animation and uh, we can tab to to get started. Select that. It will ask you if you would like to sign in with a Microsoft account. Now, if you do have one, it's a good idea to do it here. Uh, what will happen is you can uh, instruct the browser to store your information, your browsing history, your passwords, if you so choose, uh, have it all stored with your profile. And it might be a good idea if you're a multi-device user because this new version of Microsoft Edge Chromium is also available for iPads, iPhones, and Android and Macs. So if you're a multi-device user, it might be a good idea to sign in and have your data available and your history available. So when you're going from device to device, you can access the pages you've already viewed. But for the purposes of this demonstration, we're continuing without signing in. And we are landed on the home page. You get a welcome. And just a little confirmation that we have um, installed it and also informed us that it's available on the App Store and Google Play. So you can pop it on your mobile device too. But we're going to click on the home button and return to the main page, which is the traditional Bing homepage, allowing you to search the web. Uh, like most other browsers, you can customize the homepage. So many people would still prefer Google to be their default page, and you can simply set that up in the options. So now that we have the Microsoft Edge Chromium browser installed, we're going to take a look at some of the features. But before we do, uh, some of the reasons why you might choose um, Microsoft Edge. The browser includes tracking prevention, and it also uh, contains potentially unwanted program blocker. And these are two unique features that Microsoft have popped in the browser, which might be worth considering if you are 
thinking of changing. But now we're going to take a look at a feature that is of particular interest to somebody with a visual impairment, and that is the immersive reader. So first of all, we're going to go to the RTE News website. And we're going to tap in on the first news headline here. And in the address bar, we now get this immersive reader, which can be accessed by pressing the F9 key on your keyboard. So we're just going to tap on that. And it has changed the outlook, the outlay of the page to remove all the clutter and just give us basically the photos and the text from the article that we are interested in. So you access that by pressing the F9 key. This reveals a new bar just underneath the address bar, which contains a read aloud option, text preferences and reading preferences, as well as grammar tools. So we're going to take a look at the text preferences first. And this allows you increase the text size by moving the slider to the right. In addition, you can also encourage text spacing, which spaces out the lettering to the full width of the page. And we will just scroll down the page a wee bit now to have a look at that. In addition, there are page themes at the bottom, which you can change to whatever suits you. And there's a quite an interesting and popular one where it changes the background to black and the text to white. There, there is a more teams button which you can expand to reveal several more color combinations and text color combinations. So that is the text preferences. The reading preferences, you can have line focus. You can enable that. So the browser will highlight a line of text. Um, or you can set it to highlight three or five at a time, which can be useful for somebody to try and keep their position on the page. In addition, you have grammar tools and you can split words into syllables, which can be switched on there. But at the moment, we are going to listen to the read aloud. Harris says those who can wear face coverings really should. Wearing face coverings is not mandatory. The Minister for Health has said he is a little bit concerned about the uptake of the wearing of face coverings among the public. Simon Harris said this evening there is very clear public health advice on this and that if people are using public transport or going into shops or supermarkets, then they should wear a face covering. So that is quite a good engine that Microsoft have included in their browser. Even though it is a synthetic voice reading back, the quality of it is exceptional compared to anything else that's out there at the moment. Uh, in addition, you can change the devices and you can pick uh, an American accent or an English accent, Canadian, Australian. There is plenty of accents that you can choose from in, in device options. You can also slow it up or speed it down. And there is also a facility to add more voices. So that's a little demonstration of the immersive reader. 
and voice readback options available in the new Microsoft Edge Chromium browser. Definitely one to try out and perhaps it could become to replace Google Chrome as your favorite browser in the future. Thank you very much for watching. And again, if you need any assistance in getting the new Microsoft Edge browser onto your device, please don't hesitate to contact your NCBI support trainer. Very good. So thank you very much, Daniel, for taking us through that. That browser looks excellent, actually. Really good features on it as well. And JP actually just has some questions here for you, Daniel, if you're uh, okay. able to answer a couple of questions from JP. I, please. I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, I do indeed. Thanks, thanks, Stuart. Thanks, thanks, Daniel. It's a great, great uh, demo of, of Edge Chromium. A few questions here you might be able to help with, Daniel, have come in. Uh, I suspect we're going to be hearing more and more about Edge Chromium uh, in the coming while. Um, yeah. first, first one is, will I be able to make Google the default search engine in Edge Chromium? So I presume if someone is, is, is not used to using maybe Bing, but they want to switch over to Google as their, uh, as their default search engine, can they do that? They certainly can indeed, yeah. Um, you have the option um, of going into the options within uh, Edge Chromium and changing your default homepage if you want your Google engine to start off there, but you also have the addition to change your search engine. And mm -hmm. that is where you actually use the address bar as your search engine as well. It's uh, something that has been out now quite a while in some of the more modern browsers. Yeah. So yeah. rather than looking for the Google homepage, you just go straight to your address bar, type in what it is you're searching for. And yeah. that shoots across what you're searching for to your preferred um, search engine. So search that engine. definitely can be set up. It can be done. That's great. I think a lot of people would be really pleased with that. Yeah. Um, so next question is is actually to do with Chromecast, and I, I know I, I'm a big big fan of Google Chromecast myself. But uh, this one is is it's asking this person's asking, will I be able to use Edge Chromium with my Google Chromecast? A little bit of sad news. So this is one of the cons about this browser is at the moment there is no option um, built into Google, uh, to Microsoft Edge Chromium yeah. to access your uh, Google Chromecast. So okay. um, maybe it's something that might enable in the future, but just right now it's not it's there. Not, not right now, we have to watch watch the space. Okay. okay. Um, and then I know it's it's early days, Diana, but this person's asked, do you see any any disadvantages from switching to Edge Chromium from other browsers such as Google Chrome? Um, at the moment, I suppose that, that I'm a big Chromecast lover myself. Um, yeah, that, that is kind of spoiling That's, the party yeah. for me at the yeah. moment. Um, I haven't really come across any other, um, mm. you know, any other things that would Tom, really upset me, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's a couple more is, uh, can I expect Edge Chromium to download automatically with the latest Windows update? So, Right, okay, so at the moment, Microsoft are pushing um, the, the new browser through their update service. However, it's not coming mm -hmm. to everybody at once. Um, mm -hmm. So at the moment, most people, I think, will have to go through the manual install, you know, go yeah. just go to your browser search for yeah. uh, Microsoft Edge Chromium and go through the download procedure there. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling it's something to do with Microsoft and want to kind of trickle it out there rather than let out in the gush because they want to, they're conscious of the bandwidth at the moment. Yeah, um, sure. so, but well, if you do really want it, you can go get it. Yeah, uh, and uh, you showed everyone how to do it in, in the video, which is great. Yeah. Um, another question that's come in is, has anyone had a chance to work with Narrator using the new Edge browser and what's the performance like? 
Um, so again, it's, it's quite early days. Uh, I know I haven't had a chance to test it out myself, but I'm certainly certainly would like to do so. Yeah, me neither, uh, JP. I haven't, I just haven't got that far with it yet. Mm. So, uh, but definitely, it would be one to to yeah. roll test. Yeah, yeah. I haven't tested it either. Yeah. Okay, so we, we can certainly look into that one. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. There are some questions. Th thanks so much for answering the questions, Daniel. No problem. Thank you. Very good. That's that's great. So hopefully you've had your questions answered there. Maybe Daniel, could I just ask you one other question, just as a kind of a takeaway point on this yep. um, with the Chromium browser? If you were to just kind of sum up why it's of interest to, to somebody from a from a an accessibility perspective, is is the that voice sounded incredible? Would that be the kind of key takeaway point? Um. For me personally, it's one of the clinchers. Mm. Um, if if you if you in you know if you enjoy listening, you know hitting hitting the read aloud button there and listening back to your article being read out to you, um, you know it's, it's, it's nearly as good as as Eileen Dunn on the nine o'clock news. It is that good. <laughs> I have to hand it to. I think Microsoft actually bought out a company and implied their technology into producing that uh, read aloud feature for this new browser. And I would love to see it extended across, uh, maybe even a rater picking up and using that. It, it, it's such a brilliant, brilliant job on, on, on the wording. So it's well done to them again. Yeah. I think Eileen Dunn is the leash woman, though, isn't she? <laughs> that, 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 would, that would be true. Yes, we stick up for our leash people here. The inter-county war is broken out again. I better, I better cut this short. <laughs> Very good. What about Pascal Sheehy? Uh, Can we get an imitator for Pascal Sheehy? <laughs> <laughs> we'll look into that as well. Very good. So that's an excellent piece of software that, that we can use. Appreciate um, your work on that, Daniel. And again, if anybody does have any further questions, just if we haven't had a chance to address them here today, we can always uh, get to them by responding to them in an email or we can get to them to them on a, a future program as well. So thanks everyone for, for your part in that. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed today's show, today's subjects. Um, we've certainly covered a, a fair bit in our first 10 live events. And uh, if there's any um, particular aspects that you'd like us to kind of recover or cover some, some other aspect of any of the subjects that we've looked at in our first 10 events, uh, do let us know as well. Um, but remember, if you need advice or support from NCBI services on a range of different issues surrounding site loss, not just technology issues, but any other issues that are affecting you as well, you can contact our national helpline on 1850 33 43 53. That's 1850 33 43 53. Or you can email us at info at ncbi.ie. That's info at ncbi.ie. But for today, we're just about at the end of our live event. There's just enough time just to let you know what we'll be looking at next week. We'll be talking to NCBI's own Chantelle Smith about navigation apps, how technology can help you to, to get around. And as well, we'll have the chance to hear from someone who many of you might know already, Stuart Lawler. We look forward to hearing a little bit of his experience with sight loss as well. Just as a reminder that if you want to access support from the NCBI Labs team, you can call us from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday on 1850 92 30 60, 
or you can email labs at ncbi.ie. And if you'd like to support our services so that we can continue to provide these services to those who are blind or vision impaired, you can also visit donate.ncbi.ie and that'll help us with uh, continuing to run our live events here as well. But if you particularly want to uh, help us to continue with our live events here, you can sponsor one of our live events and you can do that by emailing labs at ncbi.ie. So that can help to keep our live events going. So that's our show for today. We hope you've enjoyed that. We want to thank all of our contributors today and particularly Maureen Anigan, we've had you with us for the first time today. We appreciate your contribution there and Brian Manning as well, joining our regular panelists today. And thanks as well to those who are working behind the scenes to get the show going too. We look forward to seeing you all again next week at our next NCBI Labs live event.